0: Join Anthony Esselin, John Wark Montgomery, Beverly Yonke, Mark Haltoff, Ryan Anderson, Todd Wilkin, and yours truly for the fall 2018 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference Friday, November 9th and Saturday, November 10th in Dallas, Texas. To learn more, register at issuesetc.org. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Tuesday, July 24th, 2018. Hope you're sitting down. We got some crazy stuff on deck today. Oh man, it just never ends. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. And we take the time to open up God's Word, to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostlelets and those are the only kind there are today, the self-appointed kind. And those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex is those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying Instead of the word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady, steady the, the, the the steady, diet of doctrine, that's teaching that's put forward by uh, these uh, people is far from biblical, far from what God's word says. It's not what Christians have believed, taught, or confess. like in the entire history of Christianity until like right now. And uh, these people are teaching for shameful gain, scratching itching ears, and doing all kinds of nonsense that they ought not to be doing. Yeah, I think you get the idea. So, today, okay, <laughs> I, I actually feel pressure today. I feel pressure that I need to really quickly get into the topic, or actually into the program. We got a ton of ground to cover. So, we're going to start with a, a new Apostolic Reformation update. And uh, back in the day, back in the day, Shayon Uh, did an interview with the folks from Revival Fires. And uh, they held a conference, and I think he actually traveled all the way across the pond to the UK. And uh, the name of the interview is Who Are the Apostles? And this is on the Revival Fires YouTube channel, uh, collecting dust because it's way back in the archives. But uh, Shayon says some stuff in here that, like, is whoa. Uh huh. The, the kind of stuff that makes you go, wait a second. I thought Michael Brown, uh, you know, this is stuff that Cheyenne was saying <laughs> long before the NAR was coming under scrutiny and uh, was being, you know, you know uh, attempted to be saved by uh, Michael Brown, who denies, you know, the, the, it's the so called NAR. And so we'll listen to Cheyenne. It's It's not that long of an interview, but man, is it interesting, and worth passing along. Then we're going to be doing a Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update with um, Jennifer LeClaire. And I hope you're sitting down. Yeah, I I really do hope you're sitting down, because, um, well, we're going to be learning about water spirits.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think the sneaky squid would uh, qualify as a so-called water spirit. And so uh, Jennifer LeClaire, no joke, has done an entire video on um, warning us about a dream she had about water spirits. Yeah, I wish I was making that up, but I'm not. And uh, somewhere in there we'll have to take a break. And uh, the Jennifer LeClaire segment will take some time, so it'll get chopped up a wee bit. Uh and then uh we are going to be doing this isn't technically a Hillsong update but I'm going to make it a Hillsong update um Carl Lentz, uh back in uh January of 2017 at uh Hillsong conference and I think this was in New York uh interviewed AR Bernard and um boy is this an interesting catch Uh, A.R. Bernard is literally defending the concept of white privilege, which not only doesn't exist in the truest sense, um, this is something incompatible when it comes to a proper understanding of how uh, people of different skin colors, were. by the way, there's only one race, it's called the human race, Uh, yeah, we are all created in the image of God, and in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. And the things that A.R. Bernard says in this part of the interview is troubling because A.R. Bernard is buying into, no joke, uh, social justice uh, concepts, which are not only not justice, they're not compatible with biblical Christianity. And I know that might come as a shock for some of you in the audience, and this might challenge some of your beliefs but social justice is not justice it's not biblical justice it is absolutely patently unjust and is based upon a completely false narrative and the false narrative goes along the lines of what's really causing ills in western society is the uh the white heterosexual christian patriarchy yeah that yeah that and so we've got to overthrow the white heterosexual christian male Patriarchy and and replace it you know, with something different and uh, and that uh, just by being uh, a member of the group the white heterosexual male patriarchy uh, you are automatically a racist yeah I mean even if you there's an, a racist bone in your body you, yeah the reason why you're a racist is because well white privilege. And so we'll talk about that on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. Hour number two, heading to uh, Montana, we're going to be listening to uh, uh, Sadie Robertson uh, uh, preaching on her book about living fearlessly yeah this is weird so uh, that will be today's episode of fighting for the faith strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable we got a lot of ground we need to cover and since we're going to begin with a new apostolic reformation update let's
2: do this
3: what do you want to do tonight
2: same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. They're Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain.
0: One is a genius, the other's insane. they laboratory mice. the team geniuses mice. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 brain. brain. Will be unfurled by the dawning of the sun, they'll take over the world. They're Pinky and the brain, yes, Pinky and the brain. Their twilight campaign
4: is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overflow the earth. They're Pinky, they're Pinky and the brain, brain, brain,
0: brain, 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 brain. Charge! Right, so uh, this is <laughs> this is another segment in the long, ongoing segments that we've been doing, uh, debunking Michael Brown's idea. All oh, the NAR—it's the figment of uh, conspiracy minds and conspiracy theorists. There is no NAR. It's the so-called NAR. We're going back in time to the year 2010 uh, when Shayon uh, went over to the Revival Fires Conference in the UK. And did an interview as part of that, and it was called, uh, Who are the Apostles? And uh, let's go ahead and take a listen, and you're going to find that Shayan, oh boy, the, the things he says here are quite fascinating. He touches on the restoration of apostles, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about them, your marketplace apostles taking dominion over the different mountains of culture. Yeah, he talks about that, I mean, just crazy-go-nuts stuff that uh, I'd love to have um, Michael Brown uh, explain, you know, if if it's the so-called N.A.R., why is Cheyenne talking this way? Let's get right to it. Here is Cheyenne and Trevor Baker of uh, Revival Fires and their interview from 2010.
5: You've been here at the conference, Aligning Ourselves with the Kingdom, or Kingdom Alignment, as we call the conference. And I love the title, by the way. That's a great title for, mm, for a thanks. conference. And, and it's just some of those things of how the church at this moment can align with heaven. We hear lots of che- teachings about... Um,
0: how the church at this moment can align with heaven.
5: Okay... Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Right. And some of the things you've been talking about in terms of, you know, we've had whole lots of teaching on the prophetic, and now there's this re-emergence mm-hmm. of the apostolic. Yes. And just talk to Now, us.
0: I'm going to point that out. That might seem like a minor detail, but there's nothing minor about it. In fact, that's quite an important detail. Notice he talked about the re-emergence of the apostolic. Now, Michael Brown, one of the reasons why he talks about why, well, there's always been apostles, and I mean by apostles, small a apostles. The reason he's saying that is because he knows just how duplicitous it would be to say that, well, apostles disappeared and then reemerged, because that means that uh, the church has been literally for almost 2,000 years, 1,900 years uh, to be exact, uh, been without any living apostles until they've just recently reemerged. And so the NAR teaches the reemergence, the restoration of apostles, and not little-a apostles, big-a apostles. We've covered this on previous installments of Fighting for the Faith. So, uh, yeah, you're going to note that uh, Trevor Baker had no problem talking about the reemergence of apostles Uh uh-huh that's kind of an important thing and back then shayon didn't even blink an eyelash at it he totally agreed that let me back this up just a little bit and listen in
5: you know we've had whole lots of teaching on the prophetic and now there's this Mm reemergence of the apostolic yes and just talk to us about that chay with regard to kingdom alignment and where the apostolic fits into that right Well, I love the word alignment. Yeah, where where does the
0: apostolic fit into uh, alignment with the
6: heavenlies, you know? This is a scriptural term, and the Greek word is katatismos, which you see in Ephesians 4.11. But it's in the context that when he ascended, he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That word equip there is alignment. It's allowed.
0: The same, yeah. No, that's not exactly correct. Let's take a look at it, and uh, uh, it's Ephesians chapter four. I'll start at verse eleven. This is the uh, standard text for now. The people who are five folders, you yeah. know, Michael Brown. He he's not NAR. He's a five folder. You know, he believes that there there have always been apostles. But stay and Trevor Baker. Uh, there's been a reemergence of apostles, which means, and I, and I mean this, I want you to consider the implications. The five folders say, "Well, the church has always needed apostles," but the NAR guys like Shayan uh, say, "No, no, no. The the apostles recently reemerged, which means that for 1900 years the church has been unable to properly equip the saints. So the word in question is uh, how in the ESV gets translated." As equipped, so he gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers to equip. And uh, uh, katartismos is the uh, the Greek word. And let's go ahead and pull it up in BDag. And boy, is that small! I got to make that a little bit bigger. Now, important thing: uh, definitions of a word based are based upon the context. So, uh, you know, many words have multiple definitions and the context will tell you what the word means always. And again, I go to the word up because it's kind of simple. If I were to say somebody threw up, you know, up in that sentence means one thing. But if I said somebody went up the escalator, well, up in that sense means something different than throwing up. Then you get, you get the idea. The context will tell you what definition is appropriate. So, uh, katartismos is the uh, Greek word. And uh, it's uh, it's a classical Greek word, by the way. It, this comes from classical Greek, and it means the setting of a bone historically. Okay, so if you broke a bone, you would katartismos it, which is not exactly the right way of putting it because this is actually a noun. Uh, so, <laughs> But uh, you, it, it's not a verb, but you'd get the idea. And so in this sense, then, what's being discussed is the second understanding the equipping or uh, equipment or equipping and this falls under the idea of training or discipline uh, to equip God's people for service that's what it means although historically in classical greek it meant the setting of a bone now all of that being said then you know, what shayon is engaging in is classic charismatic nar uh, nar charismatic wordplay where he's blurring definitions. And so this does not mean, by the way, alignment. It literally means equipping. That's what's going on. And in this particular case, um, I want to see something here, masculine, singular, accusative. Yeah, no, that's just the noun form. Okay, so uh, you get the idea of what's going on here. And so he's going to be engaging in wordplay. And so since it means the setting of a bone, it means alignment. No, it doesn't. And uh, he's, you know, engaging in some weird wordplay, but we go on.
6: And it's a medical term uh, that simply means to uh, set a broken bone into place. So something that's out of alignment, you wow. you set it yeah. so that it could hail yeah. and properly. And
0: uh, no, that may have been how it was originally used in classical Greek, but that's not how it was used in Koine. And especially in this context, it has to do with equipping, not not aligning.
6: stronger. And so um, I I really feel this is a prophetic word for the church because a lot of us are talking about kingdom assignment. Okay, the seven mountains of yes. culture... Yeah. What do you call to? How can you take the yes. arts and entertainment uh, mountain or the media mountain or the government mountain?
0: Yeah, how do you take the media mountain, the government? Notice he said take. This is classic NAR dominionist
6: talk and strategy. But I feel what's more important first is alignment before the assignment. Because what we have to do is recognize who are the ones who really are the called uh, as apostles to those various mountains. because uh,
0: So apparently apostles are called to those various mountains to quote-unquote, take them. That's what he said.
6: Uh, as far as spiritual authority goes, the Bible says in First Corinthians chapter twelve twenty eight, 28, as yes. first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. Mm-hmm. And in my observation, the ones that are really bringing about transformation in society are people who are in the uh, marketplace apostles, marketplace
0: prophets. Okay. Marketplace apostles. And notice he's talking about transforming society. This is much different than making disciples. Very different altogether. And apparently there's this new category with the reemergence, as Trevor Baker talked about it, the reemergence of apostles, which have been gone for 1,900 years. Uh, with the reemergence of the apostles, now there's a new type of apostle. The marketplace apostle. Mm-hmm. Which is nowhere spoken of anywhere in scripture. That's the invention of C. Peter Wagner.
6: Just a nuclear church. Obviously, yes. in the religion mountain, you have yes. the uh, nuclear church apostle. Yes. But when you begin to realize the business people who are really making a lot of money are marketplace apostles, and they are just, uh, God's given them tremendous authority, or the government mountain. Uh, I just had the privilege of meeting with the president of Korea, South Korea, and Mm -hmm. he is an apostle on the government mountain. He was a former...
0: (laughs) South Korean president is is an apostle on the government mountain. Who knew?
6: ...of Hyundai Mm -hmm. uh, motor cars, and it would be like the... CEO of uh, Mercedes-Benz, or is yeah. the number one car for Korea. And he uh, rose from the very bottom to the very top, and, and then he became mayor of Seoul. Right. And um, when he became mayor of Seoul, he dedicated the city to Jesus Christ. And he got a lot of criticism by the Buddhists. That, How
0: do you dedicate a city to Jesus? What does that mean exactly? Do you give Jesus the key to the city? I mean, and does that mean everybody there is now Christian?
6: I mean... What does that mean? Uh, you know, uh, this is my faith, and I did what I did, and I'm not going to take it back. When you get to, to the top, you can start doing some radical things for the Lord. And if
0: you get to the top, take take that mountain. Then you can do some radical things for the Lord. Says no biblical text anywhere. Where is he getting this? Again, this is classic NAR Dominionism, which of course Michael Brown even denies exists. But it's right here. You know, it's strange that I could find examples like this of the thing that he says doesn't exist.
6: The the problem is, is that unfortunately many of us are not at the top. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh...
0: yeah, see if you're not at the top, you can't do those radical things. So you you gotta take those mountains. You gotta get to the top, so then you can do the radical stuff. As a marketplace apostle, apparently.
6: And so, you know, Deuteronomy 28, 13 says we're to be the head and not, not the, the tail. Yeah. But unfortunately, uh, many of us are just behind. And so if we share something... So
0: if you're not the head, you, uh, you're doing it wrong. You, 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 if you're the tail, whoa, yeah, you've got things really backwards. Talk about a
6: twisting of Deuteronomy 28. About, uh, you know, uh, something concerning uh, uh, Christian value. We get persecuted because we're not at the head. Right. But once we so do- the
0: reason why Christians get persecuted is because they haven't taken the the mountain, and so they're not at the head; they're still in the the tails. That's why they get persecuted. Wow, that's absurd!
6: To the head, then all of a sudden we can make decrees and declarations, and we can shift and influence that whole mountain. <laughs>
0: Hang on, I got to back that up. Yeah. So, what's the point of getting to the top? Well, you know. There's certain things you could do at the top you can't do when you're not at the top. Listen to him again.
6: But unfortunately, uh, many of us are just behind. And so if we share something about, uh, you know, uh, something concerning uh, uh, Christian value, we get persecuted because we're not at the head. Right, but once we do get to the head, then all of a sudden we can make decrees and declarations, and we can shift and influence that whole mountain
0: yeah, see you can't you can't make decrees and declarations unless you actually get to the top of that particular mountain you have the seven mountains of culture you once you get to the top of it, whoa, oh, 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 man, then you can do like I decree and declare and da 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 da. No biblical text ta- teaches that. This is straight up mythology, and uh, wow! And not only is it mythology, this is the kind of stuff that Michael Brown says doesn't exist. Huh? Weird. It's right, right. You know, and we always seem to stumble on these things that Michael Brown says just aren't there. You know, but then again, I mean, clearly I've got to be some kind of weird uh, wing nut conspiracy theorist because I actually believe the new apostolic reformation's a thing. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because it is. You know, anyway. Yeah, you get the idea. Moving along.
2: Oh. Hallelujah. Get up, right. There.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's uh, Hubabaconda. So we're heading over to the YouTube channel of uh, Jennifer LeClaire. And no joke, this is a woman who has a book coming out about so-called water spirits. And she claims in this video that she had a dream. She had a dream about water spirits. And they can do all kinds of horrible, terrible things. And um, and she proof texts by pointing to verses where that talk about maybe Leviathan or... Something like that. So, see there. This this proves that there's a whole class of the demonic called water spirits. Now she's an expert, and uh, this is like her doubling down on the whole sneaky squid thing. That's the only way I could describe it. So let's go ahead and get to it. Here is Jennifer Leclaire on uh, a prophetic warning about water spirits. Here we go. Hello, Jennifer Leclaire here, senior leader of the Awakening House of
7: Prayer. Founder of the Ignite Prophetic Network. I want to welcome you to this very what I feel is a very pivotal broadcast for very, very many people. there been- This is
0: pivotal, man. This is groundbreaking YouTube. I I'm just saying, you know, oh man, I if you were totally unaware of like water spirits and stuff. Yeah, yeah, your theology was all wet, and we're, we're going to fix that right here.
7: So much anticipation leading up to this broadcast. I, I had so much uh, warfare, quite honestly, just getting on this broadcast. My comp-
0: yeah, I mean, she had to pull out an AR-15 and stuff. You know, there was warfare.
7: Computer shut down, would not start. It tells me it's going to be 45 minutes before it will reboot itself.
0: Sounds like you're running Windows to me. That's that's not a demonic attack. That's just Windows.
7: Give me a break. Amen. I don't know how the enemy comes and meddles with equipment just at the right time.
0: Um, So so are you saying that Microsoft actually is of the devil? I mean, I'm curious.
7: But somehow he does. The Bible calls Satan the prince of the power of of the air. We know there are hindering spirits. We know there are spirits of sabotage. We know there are harassing spirits. We know there are all manner of...
0: Spirits of sabotage? Are those
7: mentioned in the Bible? ...that comes against the will of God. And I believe today that this broadcast will open your eyes to some things in the spirit realm that you may have never seen or at least have not seriously Contemplated, and so I really want to dive in here. Uh, but let me give you just a little bit of background. You know, I travel all over the world, and as I have been traveling, especially this year, the Lord has highlighted to me representations, statues of water spheres. Now, I was in. <laughs> okay. So- <laughs>
0: So you've been traveling the world, and you've seen statues of water spirits.
7: Okay. In Sweden, I was in uh, Gothenburg, and the Lord uh, uh, took me uh, to a place uh, where there was a, a, a statue of Apollo, and he had a, a, a fish. I believe it was Apollo. Anyways, there was a, a water spirit element. Then I went to England, and there was a the Buckingham Palace. And if you go to the fountain outside Buckingham Palace— there are water spirits depicted on these monuments, and so.
0: Oh no! Yeah, the golden merman of Buckingham. I, I, oh man, I never. Oh, it, uh, we are so much under demonic attack. I mean, have you called the Illuminati?
7: These are all over. I'm about to go to Nigeria, where it's no joke. Now, many in the American church, listen. Many in the American church have not. Heard of water spirits. I assure you, my friends, it is in the Bible. We're going to get into some of that in the broadcast. But I'm about to go to Nigeria. Now, in Africa, it's no joke. They're very familiar with water spirits. Water spirits, also called marine demons. Why? Because they're in the water. Why are they called water spirits? Because they primarily operate in the water. I'll-
0: So why exactly would demons prefer to operate in the water when humanity lives on land? I'm curious.
7: I want to share with you in just a moment a vivid dream I have I had that uh, while I was in Europe that exposes uh, these the spirits and, and some of the agenda in this season. I want you to stay tuned to the end.
0: All right. So she's going to share with us her dream. Now I'm going to fast forward through her little infomercial where she wants people to learn the code so they can save money on her new book. And uh, let's see if we can figure out what this dream was all about.
7: Amen. So what is a water spirit? I mentioned a spirit that largely operates in in water. Now, crocodiles is an exception. We consider that a water spirit. It's really Leviathan.
0: You you consider crocodiles a water spirit? I'm pretty sure they're like you know, part of the animal kingdom.
7: But it it, it operates in the water, but it has to come up out of the water. We'll get into that in a moment. A water spirit is a spirit that largely operates in the water. It could be swamps. It could be oceans. It could be rivers. Wherever there is water. Now, I believe very strongly when I was a child, uh, there were so many assignments against me when I was a child. Protect your children. And maybe you or targeted as
0: a She was targeted by the demonic water spirits when she was a child. She's gonna regale us with a story, you know, of, of, of a harrowing encounter with a water spirit when she was just a little tyke.
7: Uh, all kinds of terrible things happened when I was a child. I was in a body cast two different times. I had to completely learn how to walk again. Uh, they said my leg would never grow out. And I had all these kind of curses from well meaning doctors come to get me. That was a trial. Uh, but when I was even younger than that, I want to say uh, maybe two and a half, three years old, uh, I, uh, I, was, I almost drowned. I almost drowned in water spirits. One of the things they'll do is try to drown you. Now, this was a physical.
0: <laughs> so we, don't, we not only have to worry about crocodiles, alligators, and sharks, oh my, uh, but we also need to worry about water spirits who will attempt to drown you which biblical text says that answer no biblical text says that now we got to pause right there and uh, when we come back we're going to listen to more jennifer leclerc waxing eloquent about aquatic spirits if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is TalkBackAtFightingForTheFaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Empire christian. Quick break, when we come back, more of Jennifer LeClaire, and then we're also going to steer into uh, social justice with A.R. Bernard literally defending the idea of white privilege. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back.
2: No sneaky squid spirit formed against us will prosper you're listening to fighting for the faith you're listening
8: to pirate Christian radio We'll be taking your false doctrine now <laughs>
9: Theater
10: presents
9: Church Day select. No, and it would seem that there have been an unprecedented number of churches that have mysteriously sunk into the earth over the last two weeks authorities within the church have made the claim that this is the work of what they're calling the sneaky squid spirit scientists have analyzed the phenomena and have made some shocking discoveries it turns out that pastor Chuck Pierce accidentally opened up multiple heavenly blessing portals simultaneously by doing so he unwittingly ripped a hole in the fabric of space-time so large that the sneaky squid spirit simply fell through the leaking, bulging sound membrane. Authorities have offered a $1 million reward to anyone who can stop it.
1: Well, hello
8: there. Welcome to MacGuffins. Uh, what can I do for you today?
10: Hi, uh, I was wondering what supplies you had in stock that would help me fight the paranormal.
8: Well, uh, see, what we got here. We uh, we got rock salt, shotgun rounds, uh, PKE meters, EMF readers, hexes, spells, salt hula hoops, demons, summoning coloring books, crucifixes, and holy water, amongst other things.
10: Do you carry the Grimoire of Modern Prayer?
8: Not since it was outlawed by the Geneva Convention. Sorry,
10: bummer. I I noticed it looks kind of empty in here. Well, business has been booming as
8: of late. Are you going after that sneaky squid, What whatchamacallit?
10: Yeah, as a matter of fact, I, what, what would you recommend for tackling this beast? Well,
8: none of the items here are going to work against that monstrosity. If I were you, I'd buy Los Lobos Ministry's latest invention. What's that? Well, it's right here in the summer catalog. It is a um, laser-guided... Sneaky Squid Spirit Homing
10: Nuclear Missile. Great, I'll take one.
8: Uh, sorry, uh, we're, <clears throat>
10: we're,
8: we're fresh out.
10: Fresh out? Then why'd you even mention it?
8: Well, if you want to order one right now, I could have it here for you in about
10: 11 weeks. No, I, I need something today. Well, there is one thing I can sell you. What the heck is this? glory
8: sprinkles glory sprinkles that's what i said is there an echo in here or something
10: no i heard you it just sounds more like a breakfast cereal than a paranormal weapon they look like lucky charms they're more like fruit loops actually this is really the best you got afraid so how am i even supposed to use these well uh, there's instructions on the bag Use two or three handfuls to throw directly onto the sneaky squid spirit. Do not inhale or ingest. If ingestion occurs, please see your local position for treatment immediately. Must be 18 or older to purchase. All right. Glory sprinkles it is then. Happy squid hunting.
9: Will Dylan kill the sneaky squid spirit? Will Chuck Pierce be held accountable for his crimes? Learn all of this and more on the next thrilling episode of The Sneaky Squid Spirit Trilogy!
8: The gospel to them. What if um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. <laughs> to err is to heretic, to are is to pirate get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game refermanda and join the fight for the faith today Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie It's delicious, it's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society, and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical, somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee i personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk Uh, that's what i call a balanced breakfast so head on over to cillespie.coffee and get some that's g-i-l-l-e-s-p-i-e
1: dot coffee rex out
0: listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that Jennifer LeClaire is in need of psychiatric help. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew, and rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at twenty four ninety five a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew, great way to support us. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. If you'd like to make a one-time donation, click on the Donate button or... You can make your gift payable, too, fighting for the faith, and then send it to post office box 13344 Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, here is more of Jennifer LeClaire talking about marine aquatic water spirits. Here we go.
7: Manifestation, I believe, because of the call of God on my life, But water spirits will, from a spiritual perspective, try to drown you. It's witchcraft. Try to overwhelm you, make you feel like you're drowning in warfare, drowning in in, in worry.
0: Now, what kind of drowning are you talking about? Like literal drowning or figurative drowning? Because you're kind of waffling between the two types of drowning here.
7: Drowning in fear, just just grasping and and gasping for air. They choke the life out of you in this way, that way, or the other way. They wring you. And it just goes so, so, so deep. But those are, those are some of the things. When I was, when I was like two, two, two and a half, three years old, uh, my parents took us on vacation, uh, into Daytona Beach. And, uh, and, and, and I was in the kiddie pool, mind you, the kiddie pool. And, and I remember being, being plunged under. I, I ran, I jumped in, and I remember being just taken under. And I couldn't, I couldn't get, now, mind you, it's only this deep. So how far under could I be? But I was, I just could not, get up i could not
0: so like the trash compactor scene from star wars a new hope yeah. yeah on the death star so that thing that little thing that popped its head up that that was a water spirit
7: I get back up out of the water and so thankfully someone pulled me up out of the water it was they called it a kind of a freak uh, sort of thing, because you know it, it was only this deep, and 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 I was like probably three years old. So you know, I believe that that now, looking back, as I've been praying and studying and writing about water spirits, I believe that was a, a water spirit trying to uh, trying to kill me from a very young age. And I could tell you other things that have happened to me through my life that where the enemy had marked me for destruction. But thank God.
0: Y- y- do you ever get the feeling that like Jennifer Leclaire needs to like? undergo a psyche valve you know i'm just saying
7: his blood is sufficient his grace is sufficient even when we don't know him we have angels that protect us you know especially children you know god i don't like to call them guardian angels
0: Yeah, the bible does talk about angels protecting us and you know and ministering spirits yes that part's true we do believe what the bible says regarding the angelic realm or you know the the existence of angels and their assignments that is actually clearly taught in the bible but this idea that uh there's you know water spirits that want to drown you in things
7: but we have angels we have angels that protect us you can call them guardian angels if you watch i'm not against it. i just i just call them angels or personal angels uh they, they guard us i believe that 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 angel uh had me i believe that if someone hadn't pulled me up out of the water as a matter of fact i don't even remember who pulled me up out of the water for all i can remember it may have been an angel i just remember being thrust up out of the water and i saw my mother running crying uh you know and so honestly it could have been an angel but i digress let's press into this
0: you know memories from the time you were like two or three we've been on the fuzzy side for any of us
7: so where is this in scripture? Because I've been talking about water spirits, and people are saying to me,
0: "Well, now I- I'm going to note something here. Just simply giving us, you know, citations. You know, where you know the Bible might talk about Leviathan or something like that does not does not somehow prove that that this whole class of water spirits, which she's already saying, you know, what their assignments are, you know, to drown us. And stuff like that. And then she knows all this other stuff about apparently these water spirits. Nowhere found in scripture that somehow the Bible's teaching what this woman's teaching. It, it doesn't. That's the thing.
7: Uh, you know, Is that in the Bible? What, can you show me? And so, yes, it is in the Bible. Uh, we find loads of scripture about water spirits in the Bible. They don't,
0: loads, loads of water spirit scriptures. Yeah.
7: Called water spirits.
0: Yeah, they're not We're water.
7: giving this, uh, this realm a class. We're calling it like a class of demons, like you would call, you know, angels, of certain species, right? And there's different kinds of angels, right? There's protection angels and warrior angels and messenger angels. Well, in the same way, there's different kinds of demons, different kinds of demons. But you see here, uh, in, uh, in, in the Bible, uh, we just, we just don't notice them, but the Bible speaks of these categories of what you might call sea monsters uh, on many occasions. Ancient religions also made gods of sea creatures. So, Titan, uh, you know, these different ones, uh, Zeus. Yeah, what
0: the uh, ancient Greeks did does has no bearing on what the Bible teaches here?
7: All these, you know, different uh, mythologies. Some of them were actually sea creatures, and I go into that a lot more in detail in, in, in another teaching. Uh, a few of the scriptures that mention water spirits. so you can go look at these. These are not all of them because I don't have time to go through all of them, but Ezekiel 29, verses 3 and 4.
0: All right, let's take a look. Ezekiel twenty-nine uh, verses three and four. Let me, let me pull this up and see if, what what it teaches regarding water spirits. Ezekiel twenty-nine verses. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, okay, here we go. Um, so, the, thus says the Lord God: Behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great dragon that lies in the midst of his streams. That says, "My Nile is my own. I made it for myself. I will put hooks in your jaws, and make the fish of your streams stick to your scales." Yeah, um, this is God talking to Pharaoh. Um, you know, great dragon that lies in the midst of streams. that says, "My Nile is my own." Yeah, the uh, the the offender in question here is Pharaoh and uh, god likening him to a dragon and you know relating him back to the nile has everything to do with you know maybe like the geography of um, of egypt you know just saying so okay what's what's the next one jennifer uh, revelation
7: chapter 17 verses
0: 1 and 2 all right revelation 17 let's take a look at that 1 and 2 revelation 17 uh, one of the seven angels uh, uh, who had the seven bulls came and said to me, come, I'll show you the gr- uh, the judgment of the great prostitute who's seated on many waters. <laughs> With whom the kings of the earth have committed. Yeah, do you get the sense here that Patricia, uh, not Patricia, Jennifer LeClaire is like, you know, proof texting or something? <laughs> you, the prostitute who's seated on many waters. Yeah, this is describing uh the the global scale of the deception going on in the last days leading up to the return of Christ. Uh not so so we have prostituting water spirits now. Uh-huh. Uh Revelation
7: 12 and
0: 12. Uh- All right, let's take a look at that one here. Revelation 12 and 12, huh? All right, so there's Revelation 12 Let's take a look. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. Yeah, I, yeah woe to you, O earth and sea, just basically means like the whole planet earth. You know what I'm saying? It's <laughs> Not saying that the devil's a water spirit. Yeah, I, I think there's a reason why uh, Jennifer LeClaire didn't read these passages out.
7: Also in the book of Job speaks directly of Leviathan. Of...
0: Yeah, it does talk about Leviathan in Job, but already we've shown that you're just proof texting. You're trying to make it look, uh, appear like somehow the Bible is teaching these doctrines that you're teaching here regarding water spirits when it clearly doesn't.
7: First Samuel 5 and 3, Acts 6 specifically mentions the Python spirit a spirit of divination, which comes from the Greek word Pythos, which was actually a god. It's uh,
0: Puthona. And uh, <laughs> the, uh, that particular spirit is uh, is associated with the oracle of Delphi.
7: They served, back then and still in Africa places, served this python spirit today. Uh, it's very real. In America, we're so sheltered from this stuff. but That doesn't mean it's not operating in America because beloved. Do,
0: do pythons normally dwell... In water, yeah. I, I just got to know. You know, I, I didn't realize that they were sea serpents. You know,
7: let me tell you something. It is these spirits are alive and well in America. I live in South Florida, and the marine demons down here are fierce. We're
0: we're we're, we're- marine demons in South Florida. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Again, Psychoval may maybe in, in order at this point. She literally is uh, paranoid of you know marine spirits and they're very fierce down in florida and stuff you know
7: surrounded on all sides by water uh and so it's especially pronounced and and the python spirit in particular is one uh that runs rampant in florida we have the everglades just not too far from me just where i could drive over there right now and and there's such an overrun of pythons they've got they've actually got now python killers
0: uh, yeah those will be the actual physical reptile reptiles you know these you know the, the these snakes here um, what does that have to do with spirits?
7: The Everglades—they—they're they, like bounty hunters. They get paid professional python killers because the pythons—these pythons—are are, are eating everything else. They're eating raccoons. They're eating all the other wildlife. And so to produce-
0: yeah, fierce marine water spirits there. Yeah, those pythons.
1: <laughs> hmm.
0: Yeah. Psych-eval, that's a, the, that, those are the words for the day. You know, psych-eval, Jennifer, you you need help.
7: The ecosystem, uh, they're, they're sitting in Python. Now, that's prophetic to the prophetic. Amen? That's prophetic to the prophetic. Python over overrunning the Everglades. I'm in Florida. It's Python spirit trying to overrun Florida. We're pressing it back in Jesus' name. Yeah, also- thank
0: God for those Python killers because, you know, with every Python that's killed in the Everglades in Florida – the kingdom of Jesus is able to advance more and more.
7: Isaiah 27 mentions Leviathan. Uh, but perhaps uh, the best example is, is Revelation twelve twelve, And I want to read you that, that scripture.
0: Yeah, please do. I'll have some to drink too.
7: The Bible says, for this, for this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea. Because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he only has a short time. Notice that. Woe to the earth and to the sea. Now, 1 Peter 5. 5-
0: yeah, it doesn't say anything about water spirits or marine spirits or what you're saying.
7: It says that the, the enemy roams around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so we focus on. Are no-
0: there water lions now?
7: In the realm of the earth. But I'm here to tell you today that there's these sea monsters, these sea demons, these marine spirits that are roaming about in the ocean like a see, it's in the spirit realm. So it's just, you're know, like, well, I just won't go in the water. And I'm saying, no, it doesn't work that way. They're roaming around in the, in, in the, in the sea, but they're releasing witchcraft. They're rele- they're like principalities. Some of them, principalities that rule over territories. They're territorial demons, especially Leviathan. Now, scripture clearly connects the devil to the oceanic realm. You might just say, Uh, that that he's active in in, in both these realms, in the the heavens, so above the earth, on the earth, and in the sea. Of course, we know below the earth where he will stay for eternity. Now, again, let's get into this dream. Again, stay tuned because at the end of this broadcast, I'm going to offer you some very special codes that will expire over here.
0: Yeah, so she's going to go, basically, she's going to go on and wax eloquent regarding a dream that she had, and she's giving away special codes so that you can get discount pricing on her latest book that just happens to be about um, water spirits and how fierce marine spirits and demons can be and stuff like that, like the sneaky squid. Yeah. All I can say is um, pray for Jennifer LeClaire. Um, She clearly has... um, gone to cuckoo banana town and uh, this has nothing to do at all with what scripture says and she's not discipling anybody in in actual biblical doctrine and theology. These are the ravings of a woman who clearly is out of her mind in one way or another and, and in a paranoid fashion believes that she's being pursued and harassed by a, aquatic spiritual life and things like that. Moving along.
4: Praise the Lord for all the cash I've got. Praise Him for my Rolls Royce and my yacht. Serving God ain't hard with a credit card. Jesus died so I could make a lot. Praise the Lord. Latest millionaires wave your donations in the air. We've replaced our hymns with ATMs, and soon we'll charge a fee on every prayer. Jesus Christ was a poor man, don't you know? He should have used our accountants for his cash flow. Stopped the sermon on the mount, he should have had a bank account. Two thousand years with interest. Keep me rolling in the dough. Praise the Lord, this song's out on CD, just forty ninety five plus GST. Hallelujah, plenty of moolah. Solid gold baubles on my Christmas tree. I've got all of heaven's riches thanks to all you stupid (laughs) me. Deity, yeah whoever said religion should be free yeah. yeah
0: praise the lord and pass the offering bucket all right so uh, i'm putting this under a hillsong update uh due to the fact that uh what, where this was recorded was actually at a hillsong conference and we're going to be listening to uh, Carl Lentz and A.R. Bernard. Carl Lentz and A.R. Bernard as they are discussing, um, well, <clears throat> white privilege. Now, I know that we don't normally steer into uh, the political here at Fighting for the Faith, but I'm going to just put this straight out there. The, uh, the whole concept of white privilege is based upon a false narrative. And the false narrative is that uh, the evils of Western society are the result of the uh, of well the evil white racist patriarchy and their and their suppression of uh, people of color, and this is a narrative that is created by the SJW types in kind of conjunction with uh, you know anti colonial post modernism. So this is not. Something that uh, Christians should be embracing at all. In fact, one of the things I'm going to be doing on the uh, on the podcast and as well as the YouTube channel is I'm going to put a link up to a video that is absolutely worth the watch and the name of the video is Jesse Lee Peterson completely dismantles leftist narrative and in uh, this is a conversation between two people of color. And uh, uh, Jesse Lee Peterson obliterates uh, a woman who is on his program who you know buys into this idea of white privilege. And not only is she incapable of actually defining it, um, she, he just demonstrates that the whole thing is a complete myth uh, and that it's a leftist narrative, which exa- is exactly what it is. Now, I know some of you listening to me are going to have your – uh, you're you're going to be really upset at what I'm saying, but what I'm saying is absolutely true, and what A.R. Bernard is saying is not not only not compatible with biblical Christianity, in which Scripture says, "In Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, that we are all one in Christ." He literally is going to be making the argument that uh, that that people of color and uh, and those who are eth- uh, you know uh, th- their skin color is white can't be friends, uh, bec- you know, even if the uh, white person is saying that uh, they're not racist and they, there's a an racist bone in their body. And the reason why is white privilege. Yeah, there's no place for this uh, in the church. But uh, let's let A.R. Bernard explain. And the person interviewing him is Carl Lentz of Hillsong. Here we go.
11: So when, when you have a white person say to a person of color, yeah, you know, I I, I, I don't agree with – the past and the things that happened in the past. And, you know, uh, my great-great-grandfather may have been racist, but I'm not. I don't believe in oppression and slavery and whatnot. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm removed from all that. So can we have a relationship on that basis?
0: All right. So, no, the way he set this up, you, you, you're talking about a person whose skin color just happens to be white and is saying he's not a racist. And he's telling the truth. He's, there's, there isn't a racist bone in his body. You know, is it okay for you, you a person of color? Can we be friends? The Air Bernard's answer? No.
11: Well, your assumptions are wrong. Mm. You're not removed. Because although you may not be the perpetrator of those injustices, you are indeed a beneficiary of those injustices. Mm-hmm. So that gives you an advantage 300 years later that i don't have 300 years later
0: now a little bit of a note here this is based upon the sjw concept known as equality of outcome this is a marxist concept by the way and i'm gonna again refer you to the video from jesse lee peterson where he he takes this straight on this is the concept known as white privilege so you know, it, it, as if somehow, you know, if you are a person of color, you are automatically – the system is rigged and set up in such a way that uh, you can never succeed. And they—they, they, it's not possible for them to have uh, an equality of outcome. And uh, Jesse Lee Peterson actually addresses um, one of the major reasons why there are differences in outcomes between people of different skin colors – uh, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that of the total breakdown of the nuclear family uh, with, within uh, the African-American community. And that's a major uh, reason why there isn't similar outcomes. But this whole idea that of white privilege and, and everything being said, and that somehow I'm the beneficiary of, of racism, yeah, th- that, what that does is it makes me a racist – Even though I'm not a racist, yeah, just by virtue of the fact that I, I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a white man, and I and I went to school and I got an education and things like so, everything was rigged in my favor. Yeah, again, that's a false narrative and it's a myth. It's not true. In fact, defining white privilege is uh, quite difficult. I would say, but uh, he continues, and now he's going to twist. Uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, in defense of this concept.
11: And we know that the playing field of human experience is not level. That's why we appeal to God. That's why, you know, the prophecy said that when Messiah come, he would, he would um, fill every valley, he would uh, lower every hill and mountain, he would make the crooked...
0: Now, let's take a look at that passage, by the way. Um, and let me duplicate this tab before I do that, and there's a reason why, because I want to come back to what I had put in there. And the Gospel of Luke chapter 3 is the is the text that he's referencing, but he's not really reading it out in, in context, nor is he really engaging in exegesis. What he's doing is putting a social justice ideology over this text. And here's what it says, Luke 3, 1, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, Caesar, Pontius Pilate being the governor of Judea, Herod being the tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Icharia and Trachonitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John was a preacher of repentance. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, and this is from Isaiah chapter 40, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God." Now, what A.R. Bernard is doing is hijacking this, this prophecy and making the path straight is through the repentance preaching of John the Baptist, calling people to repent of their sins. Crooked paths are sinful paths, and that's what is being talked about here. But what he's doing is imposing a social justice ideology and a social justice narrative over this text, and so, yeah, we've got a major problem in what A.R. Bernard is doing here. And in, ver- in just a couple minutes, he's going to overtly defend the concept of white privilege.
11: Straight, he would take the rough roads and make them smooth. And this is beautiful metaphor for, number one, he would fill the valleys. And in, 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 in Luke, if I may, chapter three, it opens with the power structure at the time when John and Jesus began their ministry. And why does it present the power structure?
0: Yeah, it actually is quite clear as to what's going on here, is because in presenting the power structure, it anchors the story in human history, and we know when this was. And so, you know, it, 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 the, it's basically saying, here's what was happening politically, here were the re- the the you know who was caesar and these were the different uh, regional governors and tetrarchs and things like that during the high priest of annas and caiaphas and um, and it says the word of the lord came to john the uh, the son of zechariah in the wilderness so it anchors it in human history that's the point of all of this but watch what a.r bernard is going to do with it
11: cause the message would actually speak out against the status quo and the power elite so
0: What? So again, this is a social justice narrative and ideology imposed on the text. The the reason why these people were not were mentioned has nothing to do with like speaking power to the oppressive, you know, power structures. That was you know speaking against the oppressive power structures. What John was doing was preaching against people's sins, calling them to repent.
11: That phrase out of the Book of Isaiah. When it speaks of the valley being filled, it's talking about the vacuum for righteous leadership would now be made available and filled before the people. Uh, the
0: vacuum for righteous leadership. Uh uh-uh. That's not what's going on there.
11: It would bring that. When it spoke of of mountains and hills being lowered, it doesn't mean that he's going to go around the world and take Mount Everest and crush it to the planet. No. It's metaphor for the fact that those who are proud and arrogant in positions of power will be humbled and given an empathy and not
0: sem- just in position of power. Notice he's imposing that. God opposes those who exalt themselves. The one who exalts himself will be humbled, God says. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. But you're, you're talking in postmodern. Theory here in postmodern SJW ideolo- ideological terms, you know that somehow this is all just about power
11: sensitivity to the realities of human experience, especially the disenfranchised and the marginalized. It speaks of the crooked being made straight. That he would address corruption.
0: Uh, he- the text is talking about John preaching against sins, calling people to repent and be baptized you know, for the forgiveness of sins and repentance.
11: The rough roads being made smooth is that based upon the struggle for power and greed and corruption, those things that lead to the abundant life, all right, there are...
0: Now, notice, he's saying all of this in the context of white privilege. Uh Uh-huh. That somehow being white... And in, in, you know, in in living in 21st century America, growing up in 21st century as white, that this is the equivalent of, of basically being in unjust power. Wow. I mean, this makes you a racist without even being a racist. Just, it makes you racist by virtue of the fact that you are white and grew up in America at this time. That is not justice. That's an injustice. This is not the calling of people to repent of any sins that they committed. This is something totally different.
11: ...and difficulties in the way that will be removed at the coming of Messiah. And that's why right after that text, John then speaks to to the crowd and he says, Who's warned you to flee, you brood of vipers?
0: He, He was saying that to the
11: Pharisees. Then they started to ask him. The tax collectors responded. The soldiers asked him, what do we do? And he began to speak to their corruption. He began to speak to their injustices. See, that's where he we... He
0: spoke against their sin. So let's take a look at what, what was actually said. So the crowd asked him, after being baptized, what shall we do? So he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Which, by the way, this is exactly what the, the, the moral law of the Old Covenant called for. Okay? Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. Now, a little bit of a note here. Again, A.R. Bernard is citing this text in the context of a white person who says he's not a racist and wants to be friends with somebody who's a person of color, and he's saying, no, you can't, and he is likening that white person to somebody who is corrupt and, and needs to somehow straighten his path. What exactly has he done? Oh, I see. He... He just happened to grow up in 21st century America. Does that somehow make him corrupt automatically just because of his skin color? So you're going to note that in the SJW narrative that, uh, that you are a racist just by virtue of the fact that you are white. And that's literally what A.R. Bernard is promoting here.
11: need to be and have a very deep and profound and honest conversation and not be afraid issue of race as Christians has to be dealt with up front, and it's not...
0: Now, I agree. There is no room in Christianity for for real racism. Racism where you believe that, you know, by virtue of your skin color, you are superior to people who have a different skin color than you do, and that goes all different directions. That's not just white people being prejudiced against those who have uh, are persons of color. But real racism actually runs in reverse, you know, from people of color against those who are white, those who are Asian, those who are Hispanic. Racism is an equal opportunity sin, and it has to be called out wherever it rears its ugly head, regardless of who's engaging in it. And here's the problem with the SJW version of their definition of racism. It's not just a hatred or a disdain or a prejudice against somebody of a different skin color. It's not true racism unless you're in power. And so in their way of redefining racism, you can't be a racist if you are a person of color because you're not in power. That's a lie. That's a straight up lie. And, you know, and, I'm sorry, but people who hold that view need to repent because oftentimes the people who hold that view, they are, in fact, for real racists. And unfortunately, what I'm hearing from A.R. Bernard is a form of racism.
11: In this conversation, it's in your theology. We have two, we have two heritages in life. We have an earth, earthly, natural heritage that traces us back to some color, to some community, to some culture, to some geographic location. But our spiritual heritage, which is greater than our natural heritage, traces us back to God. And we discover the Imago day, and we're elevated to a level that transcends all of the issues and walls and barriers down here. Because I, in the image of God, I can transcend all of these things that try to suppress me, marginalize me, and disenfranchise me. Because
0: things, what things are trying to suppress to you, marginalize you? Uh, and uh, disenfranchise you. If you know, I, I don't know what these things would be. What are you talking about? And so, again, notice he's talking about, the you know, apparently, you know, this the white patriarchy is is uh, is. And clearly, just by virtue of the fact that, you know, I'm white, I apparently am part of this. Unwittingly, I'm I'm trying to disenfranchise him. Hogwash. That is not true at all. That is a straight-up false narrative, and it's a lie.
11: I have a whole new image of myself, and that's why if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, mm-hmm. a new identity, a new image, a new self-concept, a new self-esteem.
0: Yeah, and now I want to come back to those texts that I was uh, originally referencing. Romans 10, 11, Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Christ will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who come to him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Galatians 3, starting at verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male, no female. You are all one in Christ. Christ, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. And, you know, this is a recurring theme in Scripture. And unfortunately, SJW, uh, this SJW ideology and this false narrative of the white patriarchy trying to suppress people and uh, you know, people of color and stuff like that, this is a form of racism for real. And this is actually contrary then to this idea of we all being one in Christ. And unfortunately, uh, A.R. Bernard clearly has bought into this, uh, this false narrative.
5: Can we go ahead and pound that out?
1: Oh, yeah,
0: okay. Man.
10: Do you think the, the issue of white privilege
11: is real? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, there it is. Again, down below in the description, uh, the YouTube channel, and uh, I'll have this will up in the audio podcast, will be on the channel, it's, uh, on the uh, main page of Fighting for the Faith for this episode, uh, will be Jesse Lee Peterson's complete dismantling of the leftist narrative as it relates to this idea of white privilege. I'm sorry, but the idea of white privilege... Actually, foments for real sinful racism and is based upon a false narrative, and it is a myth. It is not a real thing. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you could subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pyro Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there at Pyro Christian. Quick break, when we come back, uh, we're going to be listening to a sermon called Live Fearless by Sadie Robertson. Stay
1: tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of
0: a Salesman. for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel
1: rooms, and rental cars today.
9: Hey, you. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck, because we now at Pirate Christian Media have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twist Busters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, Exclusive Skype Interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire So, if you're looking for some extra pirate Christian media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe.
0: All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith, sermon review time. Let's do this right, though.
10: Hey, Cole.
0: Oh. Look at the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. We're heading over to Fresh Life Church in uh, Montana As we listen to guest preacher Sadie Robertson, yes, a woman, which scripture forbids her to do what she's doing here, will be preaching the sermon based upon her book, not a book of the Bible, but her book, titled Live Fearless. I don't know who this woman is, so this should be just loads of fun, best way I can put it. We go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is Sadie Robertson and Live Fearless.
3: This is so awesome. Is so awesome. Uh, I am literally emotional today. I think because um, I love doing stuff that you know you could not do if it wasn't for God. Like, I could not be standing here if it wasn't for God. I literally wrote. A- yeah,
0: actually, God's word forbids you to even be standing where you are preaching the sermon you've have you read first corinthians 14 have you read uh you know first uh, uh, timothy 2
3: live fearless which means i come from a life of living in the past in fear so to even be here and stand here is just the power of god's grace and love so i can... Yeah,
0: clearly she's fearless and no longer has a fear of god which she needs to have
3: emotional so bear with me church bear with me church y'all can uh, go ahead and take your seats i'm gonna tell y'all a short story of just kind of um how fear gripped my life there's some of these stories are in the book but many of you know i was on dancing with the stars okay wow that's shocking because i don't know how that happened only God. so
0: the reason you're qualified to preach a sermon is because you wrote a book about being fearless because you were fearless enough to be on dancing with the stars Please tell me that's not true.
3: Again, uh, I got asked to be on Dance with the Stars, and I don't know if many of you know this, but I actually said no at first. I was like, no way, Jose. Why in the world would I go and Dance with the Stars? One, I don't know how to dance, which that seemed like a pretty big reason in itself. So I was like, no, that's not a good idea. So they called, they're like, do you want to go on Dance with the Stars? And I'm like, no, thank you. Thank you for that amazing offer, but I'm going to pass. And my mom was like, are you kidding? Nobody says no to dancing with the stars. What's wrong with you? And I'm like, yeah, but mom, you see, I don't know how to dance. Don't want to learn in front of 20 million people. It just didn't really sound like a good idea. So I said, no. Well, um, the next day I had one day to decide. I was actually the last person they called. They said, you know, we're sorry. We're late. You would have to move to LA in two days for the next three and a half months. So it's kind of shocking. There were some elements to why I'd say no. Um, and my little sister, um, I decided I was just going to take her out to lunch. And I was just going to have a lunch with her and tell her why mom is crazy for wanting me to go and dance with the stars I'm thinking my 11 year old little sister is going to like you know be with me in this she's going to be like yeah it's totally crazy you should totally not do it that's not what happened I bring my little sister who's 11 out to lunch and we're sitting there and we're talking and I'm like you know I just don't understand because like I don't even know how to dance why would mom want me to do this she should go do it you know and, uh, and Bella looks at me she goes Sadie can I ask you something I'm like uh yes ma'am <laughs> And she goes, is this the fear talking or is this Sadie talking? And I was like, oh, I'm so uncomfortable right now. My 11-year-old little sister- Oh,
0: no, is this the fear talking? What does this have to do with Christianity?
3: she just called me out and it was the first time that i think i realized like fear is answering all the questions in my life right now i'm saying no to things i should say yes to i'm saying yes to things i should say no to and i'm sitting here giving my little sister an example of if things are scary you should just say no and i'm like that goes against everything that god says about us he didn't give us the spirit of fear like we can't make decisions based off of the spirit of fear in our life so i look at her and i'm like you are so right I am doing this. And you would think in this moment that I'm like, I'm doing this. Like all of a sudden I'd be like super confident. I got this. That's actually not what happened either. I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to dance with the stars. And as soon as I like said, yes, it was like, I was overcome by fear, like anxiety attack to the max, like full on. And th- for three years, I had struggled with anxiety attacks, panic attacks, the whole thing. You're shaking, you're crying, you don't even know what's right. And uh, I decided I was going to drive to my best friend at the Times house. Her name's Mary Kate. She's now my sister in law. She's married to John Luke. I was on my way to her house. And, uh, full on anxiety. I mean, I was crying, I was shaking. And how many of you know that fear can get really ugly? It's not cute. All right. (laughs) So this is not a cute story, but I'm going to tell it to you because you need to know how real it is. So I'm driving there. I start shaking. I start crying. I throw, which
0: part of scripture are you working through here? We're hearing a lot about you. Nothing about Jesus or the Bible
3: up so I'm literally his throw up on I me mean, it is disgusting okay like this is fear everyone hello and so I get to Mary kate's house and when I pull up I see my brother's car and I'm like skirt. We are not going here. Because I'm like, he cannot see me like this. This It's so embarrassing. So I like turn around. I was like driving back home. Well, all of a sudden, I see this tall, lanky, John Luke Robertson, my brother, running after me in my rearview mirror. And I'm like, no, 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 no. He does not understand. I'm leaving. So I keep driving. He catches up to me. He's very fast. And he starts banging on my car door. And he's like, roll down the window. And I'm like, no. I'm not actually going to do that. So I I keep driving. So then he like keeps banging and he is relentless. So I stop the car and I look at him and I'm like, Yo, I'm not rolling down the window. I'm going home. And he's like, No, I, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. I'm like no, you don't understand what's going on in the car. So he gets on my car, literally jumps on the car. He's like, now straddling my car. And he's like, I'm not getting off until you let me in. I'm like, Well, bro, you're going to be on there for a while. So you would think at this moment I'd stop the car. I rolled on the window. Come on. No, I kept driving. So I drove. It was bad. This is fear. Everyone. Hello. Throw up and keep, kept driving. Um, so I locked the car door, rolled the window up and I keep driving. And you know, I think that's what fear does though. Fear locks the car door. rolls the window up and it doesn't want your brother to see it it doesn't want your family to have a voice in it because when you are fearful you're blinded and you don't really
1: fear
0: fear has its own volition it has its own will okay
3: understand the choices you're making and so you hide and that's the worst place you can be when you're in fear is in hiding and so i just kept driving i kept driving he's such a good brother he just stayed on the car i was slow okay i wasn't gonna like hurt him but finally i pull into mary kate's house and I opened the door, and he's like, "Whoa!" And I'm like, "Yeah, this is it." And he was such a good brother that night. He sat with me, he talked with me, he encouraged me on why I should do it, and all these things. And the cool thing about this story too is John Luke actually wanted to be on Dancing with the Stars. He actually said yes when I said no, and he was able to be so selfless and sit there with me and say, "No, Sadie, you were called for this. You were born to do this. You're going to go there." And what's in?
0: You're, you're born to be on Dancing with the Stars. Really?
3: Out of you. It's going to be so amazing that Hollywood needs to see it, and I will never forget that night. Such a special night with my brother. Um, but I learned so much through that whole experience, but I kind of want to show you guys a video before I even get started on this teaching. But the reason I tell you that story is to say this. Some of you today... You're sitting here, and you're like the John Luke of the story, and you're like this hero who's like, freedom, I live fearless, and I'm so awesome. And that is great, and that is where you should be. Be the friend that's on the car. Be the friend that runs your friend down. Be the friend that keeps knocking. Like, keep doing that. That's so good. So in this teaching, don't feel bad if you're in a place of freedom. Actually, like, thrive in that. Because that's where we all should be. But some of you today, you're the Sadie of the story. And you're in the car, and the door's locked, and the windows are rolled up, and you have throw up all over you. And fear is not real cute, okay? And that's okay, too, because there is hope. And I can only stand here today free. Literally could tell you I'm fearless because I'm no longer a slave to fear. Who the sun sets free is free indeed, okay? And so I just... Touched- well,
0: praise the Lord. She's been set free from fear. Yeah, boy. What on
3: earth? I to say, I was there four years ago in that car, and today I'm standing here. And I, give, I say that to bring hope to you. So watch this video. Thank you're you're-,
0: you're going to bring hope to me by telling me that you no longer are a slave to fear. Got it.
3: I really enjoy this.
2: Fly and you go up to fourteen thousand feet, and somebody opens. Uh, that's
0: Will Smith. Yeah, um, this is Will Smith giving his account of his very first um, time he jumped out of an airplane. Mm-hmm. He, we, he was he had a parachute on and was doing a tandem jump, but uh, this is Will Smith.
2: <sighs> the door. That moment, you realize you've never been in a freaking airplane with the door open. <laughs> terror, 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 terror. And then people start going out. This is
0: like, uh, no joke, I swear, I feel like this is just a motivational pep talk that we're listening to here. Will Smith giving us a motivational pep talk, too. Airplane.
2: And the guy walks you up to the end of the thing and you're standing and your toes are on the edge and you're looking out down to death. They say, on three. (laughs) One. Two. And he pushes you on two because people grab on three. And you fall out of the airplane. And in one second, you realize that it's the most blissful experience of your life. You're flying. There's zero fear. You realize that the point of maximum danger is the point of minimum fear the lesson for me was why were you scared in your bed the night before what do you need that Yeah,
0: in the video you you can see him doing the skydive and he happens to be in dubai yeah and that's a great place to skydive apparently
2: therefore everything up to the stepping out There's actually no reason to be scared. And then in that moment, all of a sudden where you should be terrified is the most blissful experience of your life. And God placed the best things in life on the other side of fear.
0: Is Will Smith a pastor now?
3: Oh, come on. I love that. That gets me so excited when he says, at the maximum point of danger, there is minimum fear. And I found that to be so true. Every time it's like. So
0: that's from the book of Will Smith, chapter 2, verse 7
3: finally get to the place that fear was their fear is conquered because in that place that's when God steps in and it's like it has to be you God because I really can't do this and he fights for you he catches you he carries you and you just begin to build this confident trust with him in Hebrews ten thirty five, this is one of the verses that changed my whole perspective on fear it says so then do not forget the confident trust that you have in the Lord for it will be
0: all right so uh, Hebrews ten thirty five, the three rules for sound biblical exegesis are context context and context i don't think hebrews 10 is a, a text about um overcoming you know the fear of jumping out of an airplane or the fear of um well <laughs> how do i put this uh, politely uh, the 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 fear of dancing you know going on dancing with the stars or the fear of overcoming, you know, you know, phobias of speaking in public or anything like that. That's not what this is about. So Hebrews ten thirty two, recall the former days when you were enlightened and you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those uh, so treated. Yeah, this is talking about persecution. You had compassion on those in prison, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward. That you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Yet a little while and the coming, and the one coming and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Yeah, so this is talking about courage, confidence in the face of persecution for your faith, your confession of Christ.
3: Richly ...rewarded. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will be able to test and approve what God's good, perfect, and pleasing will is for your life. And so my question to all of us is, how are we going to have confident trust in the Lord if we don't walk with him every day? You have to put yourself and place yourself in those places and spaces that you're like, I could not do this without you, God. Let him fight for you. Let him win the battle for you. And then when you get move on in your life.
0: What battle are you talking about?
3: Look back and you're like. Oh, I can do anything because God has continuously showed up and done this for me. That's the only way you're going to be able to do it. One time I asked my mom, we actually went skydiving for my 21st birthday a few weeks ago. Come on, it was awesome. And it was so cool. It was one of those things like this I could only do if I'm in you, God. But it was so cool because my mom, gosh, she's the best friend of fear. She, She answered the phone for three years when I called her with an anxiety attack. She answered the phone, and what was so cool about her is that, she does not struggle with fear at all. Like, picture a fearless. Proverbs 31, there she is, my mother. And she just laughs at fear of the future. And I'm her daughter. And I'm sitting here like, <laughs> and so like, how did I have it? I don't know. But she's just amazing. And what was so cool, even though she didn't struggle with fear, and I did, she recognized the place I was at. And so she, as my mom, memorized all the scriptures on fear so that when I called her and I was having a panic attack, she would go, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am thy God. Uh, and she just began to declare a scripture, and it was so amazing. So for her to be with me skydiving a few weeks ago and get to experience me being like, yeah! But like, actually, truthfully, I'll be real, I was not scared, but if y'all watch the video of me skydiving on the internet, every chin was saying, don't go. I mean, I'm talking right before, I had like 10 chins, I was like, I'm doing it! But <laughs> it was so funny. But my mom, she was there, she was just always there. And one day I asked her, I said, Mom, I don't even know if... you know the answer to this, but you know, you laugh at fear of the future. You are this picture of fearless. I'm your daughter. I'm afraid. So I just want to ask you, how, how are you not afraid? Like, I know that's kind of a big question, but how? And she looked at me, simplest answer, most profound statement. She goes, you know what? I really just believe what God says. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's good. <laughs> like, I wish I could do that. And then I realized, wait, we all can. Like, what if we actually just really believe what God said? What if it was just a matter of believing this book? What if it was just a matter of believing the songs that we sing? What if it was just a matter,
0: what if it was a matter of you believing what Scripture writes about women not being permitted to preach in church?
3: of believing the words that we're praying. What if it was just a matter of actually just having confident trust and belief that He is who He says He is? Like, what if it was?
0: Yeah, how is that the gospel? The, how about confident faith and belief and trust that He really will forgive our sins and give us eternal life as a gift by grace through faith?
3: And I think that it is. You know, fear is actually the belief that something is a potential threat to you. And when I read that one day, I was like diving into what fear is. And when I read the word belief, something just hit me wrong. I was like, ooh, like, oh my gosh, I am choosing to take belief in something that I cannot see that's other than God. So I have a choice. I can choose to believe in fear and constantly live in a state that something... Right in front of me is a potential threat to me, or I can choose to wake up every day and choose faith and believe in something I also cannot see, but that no weapon formed against shall prosper. You know, so which one do I really want to believe? Because both take faith. And so when I started thinking about this, I was like, who in the Bible actually did this like good? Who really believed what God said? Who really acted upon it? Who really did it? And let me tell you, Daniel. That boy did it right, okay? He did good. So I was reading the book of Daniel the other day, and I don't know if many of you, probably all of you know the story of Daniel in the lion's den, but when I read it again with a new perspective, with fresh eyes, like actually living in this place of trying to be bold, everything changed. The
0: story of Daniel in the lion's den is a type and shadow that points to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ.
3: For me. And so I just want to remind you guys of this story. Daniel, back up for just a minute. Before chapter six, chapter one, I think it's important to kind of talk about because it kind of shows this confident trust in the Lord that he was building. So, chapter one, the kings are like out, the king is out looking for, um, new people to serve in the kingdom, and they're looking for the handsome men, the strong men, the wise men, the sharp men, and so they invite all these people in, and they give them this diet, right? And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know the story, they decided to fast, and they were like, we don't need your food, because they were Jews, and they actually believed in the Torah, so they were like, we can't do this, it goes against the word of God, so they chose to fast. Well, of course, ten days later, they're wiser, they're sharper, they're stronger, they're more handsome, and in this moment, in chapter one, it says that God gave these men Wisdom, understanding, giving him the ability to interpret dreams and languages, all this stuff. Chapter 1. And so you kind of see how that comes into play for the next five chapters in Daniel's life. So I'll only say that to say Daniel wasn't just some random person just chosen by God. That God was like, yeah, Daniel, awesome. No, Daniel was a faithful servant of God who walked with him and lived a righteous life before God. And so as these five chapters go on, anytime the kings needed a language interpreted, anytime they needed a dream interpreted, Daniel was the man. So Daniel would show up. And He would do it. So we get to chapter six, and the king's about to appoint this new person to rise up in the kingdom, and he chooses Daniel because he says that Daniel has been found favor in God's eye and also his eye. So he's like, Daniel's the man, and just as many times in history goes, everybody else is like gets super jealous, and is like, No, 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 we gotta get Daniel out of here. This is not cool. So they decide that they're going to come up with some way that they could get Daniel out of the position to be king. Well, it's going to be kind of hard because Daniel was this righteous guy. He was doing everything right. So they say... The only way we're going to get Daniel tripped up is if we make a law or a new law that goes against the word of his God. First of all, that's pretty cool, okay? Like if we can live a life like that, where people are like, the only way we're going to be able to get Sadie is if we do something like this. Like that is pretty cool, okay? So this is how righteous Daniel was. So they made this decree. They said, King, can we just make this new law that for the next thirty days people can only pray to you, King, and if anybody goes against that, we'll throw them in the den of the lion. And the king decides that that's a good one to make, so he makes the law he seals it, it's put in stone, that's going to be the deal. Well, it says, picking up in chapter 6, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room, just as he had always done. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed. I love that. As soon as he found out about the new law, just as he had always done, he got down on his knees and he prayed, just as he has always done. What if we lived such a steadfast, wholehearted faith that it doesn't really matter what happens in the world, just as we have always done, we will bow before the king. You know, that's so good. And so... He gets down, well, like I said, it was a scheme. So the people go up and they're like, king, (laughs) your servant, he did it. And the king was actually really distraught because the king was like, oh, Daniel was the one I was about to appoint. But it said, I said it, that if somebody bows down for another king, then they're going to have to be thrown into the lion's den. And so the king, keeping his word, decided he was going to throw Daniel in the lion's den. And now I'm just going to pick up and read this for a minute, then we're going to go over it. So it says, so Daniel gave the order and they brought, so the king gave the order. They brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you continuously serve, rescue you. I also think that's just a cool point to just like take note of real fast, just because this king was like, had been watching Daniel. Like Daniel was like kind of living out this testimony that the king had been watching this whole time. And he had seen God save Daniel so many times. So he's like, actually, I really hope That the God you serve rescues you. When I used to read that younger, I I would think that it was like, he was like kind of this jealous king that was just like, yeah, may your God rescue you. Like, it was almost sarcastic. But no, he actually really wanted him to rescue Daniel. He really thought, Daniel's been doing so good. I want your God to save you. Like, live in such a way that people don't want you to fail. They actually want God to keep doing it because it's awesome, okay? And so they're like, no, may the God you serve rescue you. And so they brought this stone over. They placed it over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his signet ring. Sealing the fate of Daniel So that Daniel's situation might not be changed Then the king returned to his palace And spent the whole night without eating or without entertainment At the first light of dawn The king got up and he hurried to the den And he said, Daniel Has your God whom you continuously served Been able to rescue you? And Daniel popped up and he says May the king live forever My God sent an angel And he shut
0: right. by the way uh, This is a text that I'll be preaching on in the fall, um, yes. Looking at my sermons coming up, and this is a fascinating text, one worth taking a closer look at because um, Ms. Robertson's account of it is, uh, let's just say, less than satisfactory. So uh, we'll start at Daniel chapter six, and we'll note that uh, Nebuchadnezzar is dead. Nebuchadnezzar has uh, has died. Uh, Darius the Persian is now king of Babylon, and here's what it says. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these uh, satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him you know, Daniel being a prophet and an author of Scripture, that would be the Holy Spirit, and you can the fruit of the Spirits being born in his life. So the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Didn't plan to make him king. It's just that uh that you know the way the bureaucracy was set up, there were three people who uh reported to the king, Daniel being one of them, and the hundred and say hundred and twenty satraps who were like provisional mayors or governors or whatever uh they reported to the 3 uh, of which daniel was one and uh, daniel did so well that the king planned on making you know basically making it so that daniel uh, reported to the king and the other guys reported to daniel kind of put you know to you know cha- put him at the top of middle management so then the high officials the satraps they s- sought to find a ground for complaint against daniel with regard to the kingdom but they could find no ground for a complaint or any fault because he was faithful no error or fault was found in him So then these men said, uh, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, may you live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except for to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. And you're going to note here, Darius falls for this. Uh, he's bought into the false idea that, uh, that kings of his era are god kings. And so this plays into his ego, and he breaks the first commandment. You will have no other god before me. And so he's actually culpable then in this plot, uh, and his sin is what makes this all possible. So now the king established the injunction, signed the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he has done previously. So note here, Daniel refuses to break the first commandment, and he refuses to operate in secret. He doesn't close the windows. He keeps the windows open uh, during the three times a day that he prays. So he's not hiding the fact that uh, he's going to pray only to the one true God. So then these men came by agreement, found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, O king, Did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? So the king answered and said, well, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Now, Darius doesn't get angry now. He feels remorse. The trap is sprung. He sees it, and he sees how his sin, his his own ego, has made all of this possible. So when the king heard these words, he was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. He labored till sun, the sun went down to rescue him, and then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Oh, no, O oh, king, that it's the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction... Ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. So then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And now listen to this part here, because this is where Daniel gets to, uh, be, he himself becomes a type of Christ. And listen to the details of the sealing of the lion's den. And tell me if this doesn't sound remarkably like the sealing of the tomb of Christ uh, after his death on Golgotha. So the stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of the Lord's so that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Yeah, that's right. This is type and shadow of the death of Christ and the burial of Christ. So then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him. Sleep fled from him. So he's fasting, which, by the way, is a discipline regarding repentance. He's repented of his own sins here. He's fasting and praying and praying to the one true God for Daniel to be delivered. So then at daybreak, the king arose, went in haste to the den of lions, and as he came near the den where Daniel was, He cried out in a tone of anguish, and the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then listen to this. It's just brilliant. From from across the darkness of the the lion's den, Daniel says, O king, may you live forever. My God sent his angel. Shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me. Because I was found blameless before him and also before you. Which, by the way, is the very theology given for the reason why the grave was unable to hold Christ. Uh huh. So, O king, I have done no wrong or harm. So then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. See, by faith. By faith, Daniel shut the mouths of the lions. That's what Hebrews 11 says. So the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought, cast into the den of lions, they and their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. And then King Darius wrote, and by the way, there are two letters written in the book of Daniel by kings, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and King Darius, and both letters are addressed to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are, because they are addressed to the peoples, the nations, and languages, all the people, peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth. So this is written to you. King Darius wrote this to you. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree in all my royal dominion. People are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. Enduring forever, his kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Great story. Great, great story. And all of it pointing to Christ. Uh-huh.
3: Mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in your sight, nor have I been found guilty in the sight of my God. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the lion's den. And when Daniel was lifted, there was no wound found on him because the lions had not harmed him. Then, just a little bit further, because I think this is too cool to not say, the same king who just made this decree that they could only serve and pray to him, now makes this new decree. And he says, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. What? Oh, that is so cool. Like... That is from the king, okay? So isn't it cool that this king threw him in, and he was kind of expecting, he's like, oh, please save him. And then he did, he's like, everybody serve Daniel's God. Like, y'all don't even have to pray for me. Forget about that new decree. Daniel's God, he endures forever. Like, that is so cool. And so I'm going to reread this because there's so many.
0: Yeah, it's just so cool. Yeah, cool, coolness here, yeah. <sighs>
3: things, like I said, to be confident. I really feel like this. To be confident in something, sometimes we have to be confident of the consistency of something. And I think that God is so consistent that we can be confident just because of how consistent he is. We're like, oh, I know you're going to show up because you keep doing it time and time again. And this story just preaches on the consistency of God. So the first point. It says a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the lion's den. The king sealed it with his signet ring sealing the fate of Daniel. Okay. I read that, and I was like, yeah, right. He didn't seal the fate of Daniel. That can't be true, because no king can seal the fate of our lives, right? And then I thought about this. In Matthew, chapter 27, right after Jesus had just died on the cross, it says that, you know, they put him in the grave, and they—
0: Yeah, I'm glad she sees the typological significance, significance, or at least the tie-in.
3: The tomb. And Pilate's men, they— They came to him and they said, you know, while the deceiver was still alive, he said that three days he was going to rise again. So can we give an order that somebody can go steal the body and make sure that nobody comes and tries to steal Jesus' body? And then Pilate says, take a guard, go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb double secured by putting a seal on the stone and posting it up by the guard. How many of you know that there is no seal that any king can put on our life to determine our fate when God... Yeah, you
0: kind of missed the point there, uh, Sadie. Yeah, the story of Daniel is actually pointing to Christ. Yeah, that, that's, uh, she doesn't know how types and shadows works. Yeah. Same thing happened twice. So that means that nobody can seal our fate. Oy, you missed the point.
3: Established destiny in our life when he knit us together in our mother's room. And if God places something on your life, he's going to see it through. It, there's not a matter.
0: If God places something on your life. Yeah, notice she's a purveyor of the dream destiny thingy purpose-driven life doctrine false doctrine by the way
3: if i steal it twice if i roll it three times over let me just get one more stone no god's got you okay if he placed something on you it doesn't matter your placement okay he's that good so just one point of the consistency of god then it says the next day he comes in and he's like daniel Daniel, has your God saved you? This God, who you continuously serve, has He saved you? And Daniel pops up and he says, "May the King live forever." My God sent an angel on my behalf. If you stop right there, consistency of God, Matthew chapter four. This is so cool. Whenever um, Daniel, I mean, whenever Jesus was getting tested in the wilderness, he's there, he's been with the enemy for 40 days, and he's just been tempted and tempted and tempted. But actually what ended this whole process is the enemy asked Jesus, he said, would you just bow to me? While we're on top of the mountain, you know, we're overlooking all these things, would you just bow to me one time? And if you do then all this would be yours He said to jesus kind of like daniel's situation daniel They were just like if you would just pray for 30 days It's just 30 days like pray to me as a king for 30 days This is the time you're in right now it's Just what it's going to be for right now But then after 30 days you can go on and pray to your god If just right now while we're on the mountain if you would just bow if you just pray to me And both of them May the king live forever May the king live forever. They only bow to one God. And so Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord, your God and serve him only in this moment, the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. I love the parallel that when both of these people, Jesus and Daniel, decided to say, no, only one king, I only bow to one God, angels were sent on their behalf. So it didn't matter what enemy was actually right in front of them. It doesn't matter if there's one, 10,000 10, enemies in front of your face. When you say only one God, all of heaven's army comes and fights on your behalf, right? Like that is so powerful.
0: Oh, this is painful.
3: And another thought I was just thinking of, you can be following the perfect plan that God has for your life and still be led into the lion's den. Still be led into the wilderness. Daniel was this righteous guy. He didn't like accidentally trip up, and he got you know sent into the lions' den. Jesus was Jesus, so he didn't trip up, and he got led into the wilderness by the spirit of God. And so I think that that's just a point we're taking: is that sometimes we can
0: again. That's how Daniel uh, really is type and shadow of Christ, the innocent one sentenced to death. Uh huh. Yeah, that's kind of the point.
3: Living the perfect plan for God's life. And there's actually a reason why we're being led into the lion's end. There's a reason why we're being led into the wilderness. And in that moment when you're in the pit of the lion's end, or in that moment when you're standing on the mountain of the wilderness and the enemy is challenging you in some way, God is actually building a confident strength in you that one day you're going to look back and be confident in another situation in your life and say, no, 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 I remember the time my God sent an angel on my behalf. You're just building this confident street no matter where you go. angels say about God, they surround him day and night in Revelation. It's like one of the only Revelation verses I will preach on because it's so confusing, but my God, (laughs) hey, I'm 21, I'm learning. But I love this moment because it says the angels surround God day and night and all they can say is holy, holy, holy are you Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy are you Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And so I take that to believe that it doesn't really matter where where we're going. It doesn't really matter where we're going to end up, but I know and I believe confidently that when I get there, I'm going to be able to say, holy, are you God? And so that has been something for me that I've held on to because I think that sometimes in our life, we get so stressed out.
0: You'll notice at uh, Fresh Life Church, they use a bullpen. Yeah, that's volunteers who sit uh, in the front who are, are called upon to ooh and ah and gawk over anything that sounds profound.
3: Where we're going or where we're going to end up, and then that actually causes fear. And we only really get disappointed with where we end up if we set our plans in motion, right? And so I think that, just thinking my mom and how she laughs at fear of the future, I don't think that, I think we're only going to be able to do that if we just leave it up to God where our future is, but we know when we get there, we're going to say, Holy, 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 are you, Lord God Almighty? <laughs> I think that's kind of the trick to Daniel's success is it, it was just as he had always done. It didn't matter what was happening around him. It was just as he has always done. He was just so steadfast. And so then it says, my God sent an angel on my behalf and he shut the mouth of the lion. This is just one of my favorite points because if... I serve a God that shuts the mouth of the lion. That means I don't have to shut the mouth of the lion, okay? And so I think sometimes we actually get ourselves in trouble because we try to shut the mouth of the lion. And then we get hurt because we stepped outside of something that God actually asked us to do or required us to do. And God is so good that we serve him and he will come on our behalf and he will shut the mouth of the lion. all we have to do is be still and know that he's God and that he's fighting for us. And I know sometimes that is... Hard to do because these people, they be talking, they have mouth loud, you know, they're just the mouth of a lion. You just wait. You just wait. You be still. You know he's God and you let him shut the mouth of the lion and he will come and he will fight on your behalf. God, he's such a good God. Such a good God. And then it says, because he was found innocent in his sight, he had done no wrongdoing. He came out and there were no wounds found on him. So what this story also tells me is that you can be in the lion's den and come out unharmed. (laughs) Simple as that. I mean, it preaches it right there. You can be in the lion's den and come out unharmed. So wherever you are right now, you may be surrounded by a lot of lions. You may be surrounded by a lot of things that have come into the enemy, coming to kill, steal, and destroy the plans that, God has for your life, but you're going to come out of that unharmed if you would just be still and know that he is such a good God. I keep saying be still and know. So I just want to share with you where that's from. Psalms 46. Psalms 46 is like my anthem of fearless. Uh, because I think for me, I didn't really understand how I was going to possibly be fearless until I read Psalms 46. Um, and what God challenged me with that is that I realized something in my prayer life. I was constantly praying. I never really had this moment where I, like, wavered super far off from my faith. But I was living in so much fear. And so one day, it was, like, after this, or it was towards the end of the three-year process, I got so frustrated. And I was like, God, I don't understand why I'm still afraid. Like, I pray all the time. Like, God, I know you're good. I know you're a good father. But, God, why am I still living this life of fear? And I remember so clearly just, you know, when you just know God just punches, like, breathes right into your spirit. And you're like, whew. And he said, you know, you've been praying for your situation to change. And if you would just stop for a minute and pray for your heart to change, that's when you're going to see true change.
0: Oh, so she receives direct revelation from God now. Okay.
3: Because as long as you keep praying for your situation to change, whenever you get in the face of something that's scary, you're going to freak out. But if you would stop for a minute and pray for your heart to change, you can begin to walk and end up in the scariest situation you thought life had to offer. But yet that is when I will fight for you. And in Psalms 46, it talks about how even when the mountains are falling into the heart of the sea, even when the oceans are roaring with foam, even when the nations are in chaos, the kingdoms are crumbling, even when all of literally everything is going wrong. All you have to do is be still and know that he is God Like that's it and so psalms 46 radically transformed my life And so that's why I keep referencing that just be still and know that he is God As I was reading this Once again, the last thing that just really hit me is You know, I've been thinking about what does this look like to live a life of boldness? What does it look like to be bold? Because when you're bold, it's like actually that moment when you're actually, you actually are staring in the face of fear. Like being fearful fear is like, you know, maybe staring at something and you can't really see anything, but like, you're still afraid, you know, you're just believing that something could hurt you. But being bold is like, you no, know, you're already there. It's like skydiving, like, hello, there's death. You're there. Like, that's being bold. And so what does this look like? And so I, that's what led me to Daniel and the lion's den, because I thought, gosh, when do you need more boldness than when you're in the pit, Right. And so I began to think about this, like Daniel's staring at the face of this lion all night long. And then as I was going over this in my head, and I was praying about it, and I was thinking about it, I thought about, wait a second, it was nighttime, and there was a stone rolled over the pit. So unless there was a fire, potentially Daniel couldn't even see the lion, which really got me. Because that means Daniel's in this presence of darkness, and maybe he can feel The presence of the lion. Maybe every now and then he can feel the fur brush up to his skin. Maybe every now and then he can hear the roar of the lion. And maybe every now and then he can hear the pacing of the lion around him. And you just start to think about for a minute that sometimes fear doesn't give you a face. Sometimes you're in the presence of darkness and you don't see anything around you. But you are very aware that the spirit of fear is in the room. And how do you fight against that? I think that's what's so hard is because when I live in that place of fear, people are like, what are you afraid of? I don't know what I'm afraid of, but I'm always scared. I don't see anything in front of me, but I know that I'm scared. Okay. I, these feelings are so real and everybody outside of it can't see it. So like, what are you afraid of? But you're sitting here and all you can hear is the roar. All you can feel is the presence of fear and it is becoming so overwhelming to you. And I'm going to tell you something that I've learned in my life. The only way you can fight that is the name of Jesus. Like, that's it. The only way you can fight the presence of fear that you cannot see is the name of Jesus. But you may think that, oh, that's simple. That's just one name. Yeah, but one name that sends all of heaven's army.
11: One name
3: that diminishes fear. The only name that brings light into the darkness without a fire. It doesn't even matter what Daniel was sitting in. He just claimed the name. Oh, God, that's so amazing to me. And the first thing he said when they called his name is he said, All hail the king. He just said, May my king live forever. He wasn't sitting there like, Yeah, I just defeated this lion. No, because all he did was just depend on God to save him. And I just think that's so good. You know, so many times, like, we overcome this journey of fear because maybe you're sitting on that side of freedom and people, like, want to know your story and you want to say, like, all these cool things. No, you don't have to. (laughs) All you have to say is Jesus. All you have to say is may the king live forever. That's literally all I have to say. I don't have anything else. I don't have some story of, like, yeah, there was this one time and then that.
8: Yeah,
0: you're missing the whole point. It points to Jesus. You kind of figured that out by backing into it, but you don't know how to connect it because you're not somebody who studied and showed yourself approved. And you're not qualified to be preaching and teaching. You're 21 years old and scripture forbids you as a woman from doing what you're doing.
3: I did this, I did that. I didn't do anything. God just literally reached down into the deepest waters and pulled me out. Because I just kept saying the name of Jesus. And it's a journey, guys. Like, there are going to be days. And um, Louis Giglio, one of, like, the greatest of all times. And we were talking about this the other day. And I said, do you still, like, deal with this? And he said, yeah, of course. Like, there's always going to be times when it comes back. But now I know how to fight it. And I think it's important that you know that. So don't be disappointed when you get out of the pit of the lion and then something silly comes up and you're like, "Oh, no, I'm afraid. I just was in the pit of the lion." But the enemy's not going to stop, you know?
0: Yeah, I've never been in a lion's den. Um and by the way, the lion's den is a type and shadow of death.
3: But Jesus is always there. So just believe that. So guys, like I said, I went skydiving and It was so awesome. Like, for real, everybody should go skydiving. But it just taught me so much about life. Um, Like I said, it was one of those things that only God can do. Like, I could only do with God because it seems like such a big, scary thing. And you do have to be bold because you are standing there and you have zero.
0: Many people go skydiving without Jesus. Yeah, I'm just saying
3: control. And I actually think that that's a big point of it. And the reason why it's so freeing and it's so liberating and there really isn't much fear on something that you think would be so scary is because you have zero control. And I think that control is a big part of our fear. You know, we only feed our fear when we try to control our situations. And when you just let go and you just jump, it's like, Oh, this is the best thing ever. And there is so much to this life. There's so much adventure to this life that you get to live when you live fearless. I'm so thankful for the adventures I've been able to go on only because I live fearless. If I didn't overcome that in the name of Jesus, I would not. I would just be doing something completely different because this is not what I would have chose.
0: Yeah, she lives fearless now, folks. I mean, yeah. How about forgiven? Repentant. How about that?
3: And I want to show you this video from skydiving. And I'm going to pray. So
0: we're going to get a personal video of hers from when she went skydiving. That this Will Smith wasn't enough.
3: Video That the spirit would just just intercede in this moment. Yeah, I- the
0: spirit needs to intercede so that you can go skydiving.
3: I played this in front of some high schoolers recently, and it was amazing to see that this video, a silent video, God began to, like, come into their heart and search them. Where is that place of fear? What is it that— So
0: through this video, the Holy Spirit was moving and searching people's hearts. Really.
3: You need to let go of, because some of us, it's a matter of letting go of control. Some of us, it's a matter of actually we're in this place and we're with the lion and it's scary and we just need to call in the name of Jesus. Some of us, it's a matter of being disappointed of where we were led. And so we're just getting so anxious about where we're going next. And we just need to stop for a minute and just let God do the cleanup. Like there's so many different things. And there's so many different reasons to why we'd be afraid. And I believe that this video, somehow, Holy Spirit is just going to breathe to your heart right now.
0: Through this video, the Holy Spirit's going to breathe in their heart
3: directly to the space in your heart that kind of needs to be healed and so that's my prayer for you guys i'm just gonna pray real fast god i thank you so much
0: done yeah we're gonna we're gonna miss uh her skydiving video because i mean after all this is audio (sighs)
6: what a
0: mess um no way to clean that up um yeah the the problem begins with uh, the fact that this woman who claims to be fearless has no proper fear of God, who claims to be obeying God while literally, with her very actions and very words, uh, she's disobeying him. And um, that was a motivational speech. That was not a biblical exegesis. And she didn't preach Christ. She didn't preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins. And, And she didn't even preach even real biblical sanctification. Biblical sanctification is not... Uh, Getting to the point of being fearless enough to go skydiving, yeah, that's not it at all. And she missed the fact, really for real, how the story of Daniel in the lion's den correctly connects up with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the one who was truly faultless, sinless, who death could not hold because he had done no wrong and yet he was the one whom God had placed all of our sin so that we can be forgiven, so that ultimately when it comes time for us to face the lion's den of death, Christ has faced it for us so that we can live. Yeah, she never connected any of those dots because I don't even think she's ever heard them. What would you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard, on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is TalkBackAtFightingForTheFaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ
1: and his vicarious death on the cross
0: for all of your sins. Amen.